Hey, what's up Evergreen and friends? I'm Carlos and I am just so privileged to get to speak to you today. This is week two in our new conversation, our new series we are calling What Matters. And in this series, we are unpacking the words from the famous Sermon on the Hill, which, Jesus, which is Jesus' most popular and most detailed teaching that we have on record. But before we go into, into today's message, I want to just point out that these words that we're studying, the words that we study in Scripture, they matter. Why? Because we believe that they're not just any words written by people that no longer live uh, or are alive. We believe that God has sovereignly preserved these words for us, uh, uh, for the very purpose of us knowing Him and His will. And if I could just be frank, the, the ultimate what matters, if I can break down what matters most, it's knowing God and living out His will for our lives. Church, if you're watching, can I get an amen in the comments for that? So with that in mind, let's, let's do a quick recap from week one. Anne taught us that what matters is our influence. And I love this quote from last week that I think captures her bottom line very well. We bring who we are to what we do. She reminded us, Jesus said, we are salt and light to those around us. She encouraged us with some great examples of people being salt and light in their unique context. I don't know if you remember Alexandra's wonderful TikTok about Jesus being more than just an accessory. Or how about uh, Christina, her nine-year-old granddaughter's idea of how to spread the love of Jesus on her very block through, through a talent show. How creative was that? If you didn't catch last week's message, go check it out this week on this channel. That said, let's look at what else matters according to Jesus. Would you read with me Matthew 5, 21 through 26? You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are on the way to the court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will not be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrants. Hey, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down today's title, What Matters? Character and Relationships. Throw it in the comments. Let's unpack Jesus' words together. Beginning first in verse 21. Again, he says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not murder, and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. You know, Jesus was speaking to an audience who knew the rules. I mean, they were well-versed in the Ten Commandments and the Jewish laws, and the, their understanding was pretty simple. If you do this, you should expect this. 
Again, they knew the rules. But no one was prepared for what Jesus was about to do. Jesus was about to add to the rule book. And he does this in verse 22 when he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the courts, and whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now we need to cue, uh, cue the, the wheel screeching, neck turning, spit out your drink reactions. Jesus say what? Jesus, can you repeat that? Because I think you just declared me guilty on three counts. Who's with me? Everyone who is angry shall be guilty before the courts. How am I supposed to speak my truth? What about my First Amendment rights? What is Jesus doing here? Well, for one, he's giving us an examples of the results of anger. And his examples, they seem to get more and more serious. Do they not? First, he says, anyone who's angry, you're going to be guilty. That's pretty serious. But then, secondly, he goes, whoever says, you good for nothing. And the original word for that is raka. I mean, just saying is offensive, right? Raka. And it literally translates to empty head, right? He's saying it's idiot. And, and anyone who says that is going to not have to face the court, but they're going to have to face the Supreme Court. And that actually translated to the Sanhedrin, which represented the highest Jewish court, which only took serious law violations. And so whenever Jesus says, if you say Raka, you're going to be answerable to the Sanhedrin, that's getting pretty serious. And then he nails it home when he says, Call someone a fool, and you can expect hell. Whoa, four-letter words. That's as serious as it gets. I mean, if you think Twitter had strict community guidelines, Jesus is just kind of dropping the hammer on most comment sections online. So, here's the big takeaway from these first few verses. God is just as serious about the results of anger as he is about the actions of murder. And that, it doesn't make sense to us. It's a bit shocking. I think a little more than shocking. I think we might feel like it's a little over the top. But here's the thing about the Bible and God's word. It's, it says that his ways are higher than our ways. And so could it be possible that Jesus must know something about our words that we might often overlook. So a few truths that we find in the Bible about words and why they matter. First off, words matter because they reflect our hearts. You see, Jesus himself later teaches in Matthew 15 the following, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and those things defile a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, acts of adultery, other immoral immoral sexual acts, thefts, false testimonies, and slanderous statements. These are the things that defile the person. Notice, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, slander, where do they originate from? Our hearts. But where are they revealed? By our words and actions. 
our character is revealed through our words. You know, you don't know a slanderer until he or she is talking about you in the break room or during COVID times, the Zoom breakout room. You don't know an adulterer until they cheat. You don't know a murderer until they murder. But God doesn't have to wait to see these actions actualized. God is the only one who can judge at the heart level. You know, the Bible says that every, every person's way is right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart, Proverbs 21, 2. So what matters according to Jesus, words matter because they reflect our hearts. And friends, this includes words that we create with both our mouths and our thumbs. There has been no other time in history where we have the power to reveal what's in our hearts for the whole world to see. I mean, think about Facebook's prompt for a post. It casually asks, what's on your mind? And we fall for it. I know I have. Secondly, words matter because they have the power to set the course of our lives. You know, James, one of Jesus' followers, was inspired to write the following about our words in James 3, 6. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body's parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Strong words by James. James in this section in scripture, he's using this metaphor how, how a horse bit or a ship's rudder uh, to show how a small thing can control the whole thing. You see, our words have great influence over the course of our lives. And isn't it amazing that the greatest thing we can do with our life is done with our words? I'm referring to when we confess our faith in Jesus. Paul writes famously in Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. With our mouth, we confess, and the result is salvation. Salvation, can there, can there be a greater life course destination? I don't know about you, but my life has, been, has not been the same since with my mouth I had a Holy Spirit-empowered moment of confession of my need for Jesus. And the course of my life has gone in ways that I would have never imagined since I did that confession back in 2006. Friends, I'm living here in Hillsboro, Oregon because of those words I spoke back in 2006. Prior to two years ago, I had no idea the city of Hillsborough, Oregon even existed. And that's no diss on the city we now call home. That just speaks to how small my world was prior to Jesus. Joe Saxton, a, a, a famous Christian influencer, says, says, words create worlds. Now lastly, words matter because they have the power to build up or tear down the Magu Dei, the image of God. 
James, who we just read, continues and makes the following argument about our words in James 3, 8 through 10. But no one among humankind can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. Why does God caution our words? Because with it, we either build up or tear down his image bearers. This week, we witnessed in Minnesota an image bearer lose his life. His name is DeWante Wright. And a second image bearer now has forever changed her life. Her name is Kim Potter. And before we fill the room or uh, uh, the chat rooms with our own words and our own opinions of that situation, could we first acknowledge that both are God's image bearers? Both equally valuable, both equally loved by God. What if, what if after and only after we've reminded ourselves of, of what they bear, we then speak? The Bible makes it clear that as Christians, we are, we are to build with our words, not tear down his creation. Paul teaches this by inspiration. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Here's a word filter examination, if you will. Three questions. Does this edify? Is this what is needed for the moment? Will this give grace to those who hear? It should not be the case that in one tweet or post, one proclaims Jesus is Lord or Jesus is King. And in the very following post or, or, or tweet, uh, we, we talk about how dumb the other side is or how wrong the other side is. I don't believe this honors God and we should be willing to repent of such words. Now, why is this wrong? Not only do we have image bearers on the other side of our insults, but we have our very own brothers and sisters on the receiving end as well. Brothers and sisters whom we will spend eternity with. I mean, consider this quote from John Newton. The Lord loves him and bears with him. Therefore, you must not despise him or treat him harshly. The Lord bears with you likewise and expects that you should show tenderness to others from a sense of the much forgiveness you need for yourself. In a little while, you will meet in heaven. He will then be dearer to you than the nearest friend you have upon earth is to you now anticipate that period in your thoughts. And though you may find it necessary to oppose his errors, view him personally as a kindred soul with whom you are to be happy in Christ forever. People value so much to God that he cares how you speak to them. And guess what? You are also valued in that same way. So what matters? Humans made in the Magu day. 
What matters? How you speak to those image bearers. Because of this, Jesus continues to teach in verse 23 in our main passage. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You know, we should ask why did, did the Jews practice uh, setting an offering uh, at the altar during the time of Jesus? Well, what, what was the purpose of this? Well, there were uh, different offerings were offered for several reasons, but they all pretty much aimed at the same goal. And that was making or keeping a right relationship with God. And so Jesus is essentially saying this, you can't be right with God and not try to be right with others. In other words, your vertical relationship should influence your horizontal relationships. So what matters to God? The status of our relationships. And more specific, our relationships honored through reconciliation. Notice the order of worship presented. First, reconcile with another. Then come present your offerings to God. Confession time. I've unwisely engaged in conversations that really should have taken face-to-face with some of the dearest friends whom I consider uh, precious in my life. And we, we cover topics that we didn't necessarily see eye-to-eye, and although I never said it out loud or through a text, I, I definitely in my heart called them raka, empty heads, plenty of times. And so in preparing for this message, I decided, you know what, I need to address this. I need to apply this for myself. And uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't tell them that, uh, what I thought, that I thought of them as empty heads. Specifically, uh, I was going to, but Ilsian wisely told me that that was unnecessary. All I said is, I want to honor the Imago Dei in them. And one asked, what's Imago Dei? And I just didn't take the bait. I said, I love you and you're my friend. Uh, And lucky for me, they were forgiving and gracious. So Jesus continues to teach in verse 25, come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are with them on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will not be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrants. What matters? Reconciliation prioritize. You know, some of, my, some of you might be inspired to, to end this online experience and make a phone call, write a letter, pay a visit. And that, in my opinion, would not only be righteous, but admirable. You know, Jesus' final statements on this topic is simple. Seek reconciliation. So when's the best time to reconcile a relationship? While you still can. Friends, here's the good news. We have not yet faced the judge. We have not been thrown into prison. We are still free to do what? Seek reconciliation. What will you use your freedom for? Jesus is saying, right now, while you're still on the way to court, come to good terms. Reconcile today. Jesus doesn't ask us to do something he didn't do first. So where did Jesus demonstrate this? While on the cross, Jesus pleaded with the Father to forgive the very people who were crucifying and insulting him. Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. 
Jesus forgave in the moment that they sinned against him. That's immediate. That's prioritized. Now, all these things are from God. 2 Corinthians says, And who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation? May God help us to commit what matters most to him. Our character revealed through our words, our relationships honored through reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your, your guidance in these matters. You prioritize what matters. You reveal what's mat- what matters, God. And my prayer, Father, is that we would take your words and take them serious and that we would seek uh, language, uh, treatment of others that would show the Imago Dei in them, that would, that would honor your creation and your value towards them. And Father, I also ask that you would inspire in us to be peacemakers, that we would seek peace, reconciliation, forgiveness in those relationships that you've called us to, Lord. As far as it is with us, we will seek to be peacemakers with all people. Help us to do that and help us draw closer to you in the journey. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.